Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Today, as we're thinking of Mother's Day, I'm thinking of the mother's heart and desire to nourish and care for the children, to do everything she can to give life, to protect life, to preserve life. And and that's kind of what we're celebrating today. It brings to mind a time when I worked at Chalk Children's Hospital as a pastor of care, spiritual care. And one day I was called to one of the NICU rooms where the little teeny babies were. And I I was given a heads up that there was a very difficult situation. Sure enough, when I walked in the room, the room was dark and dim, and the baby was in the bed, and mom was sitting by the window looking away. When I walked up to her, I introduced myself to her and told her that I was a pastor of spiritual care. She jumped out of her, up to her feet, and she just grabbed onto me and just sobbed, sobbed and sobbed. It took her a while to compose herself, and finally she told me what the problem was. She says, my baby was born healthy. There were no problems during pregnancy. The birth was easy, actually, amazing. I was doing fine. The baby was doing fine. The baby immediately started breastfeeding without a problem. We went home. We were so joyful. This is our first child. Everything seemed fine. Within a few days, however, the baby just kept crying and crying, and she could not console the baby. And she got worried about it, so she went to the pediatrician and said, would you help me? I don't understand why I cannot calm my baby. And the doctor said, well, some babies are fussy and, and cry. Don't worry, you're going to be fine. You're a new mama. It's just, this is normal. The baby's fine. So she went back home, and after a few days of this, not getting a whole lot of sleep, she decided, that's it. I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to find out what's wrong. And she drove herself to Chalk Children's Hospital, where they realized But the problem was that she was not producing enough breast milk, and the baby was starving and losing weight. This mama felt so guilty and so shame-filled. She thought, how could I not know this? How could I not realize what was happening? And I comforted her and said, you did everything you could. You sought help the minute you understood the problem. But her heart's desire, most importantly, was to nourish her child and preserve the baby's life. And within a week, baby was fine. He recurred very, very quickly. And mom went home with that baby, really pretty much with more connection, more protection for his life. And you see, that's kind of God's heart for his children. And unlike this mom who who her her body was not producing enough milk, what God has for us is never-ending. As we were singing just now, His faithfulness is forever. His provision for us is an endless source. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. If you came in today starving, perhaps like this little child, desperate for a feeling that you know you need, my prayer is that we, as we look at God's word, you will be nourished today. You'll be nourished by the one who never runs out of what you need, never does. I love this story, and I want us to have it in proper context. 
This is in chapter six of the gospel according to John. Now John writes the gospel quite differently than the other gospel writers, Mark, Matthew, Luke. In those gospels, they, they have a specific goal. God and John has a specific goal as well. He wants to prove to us by telling the story in a certain way. He wants to prove to us that Jesus was God in the flesh. He begins his letter, the word was with God, and now the word is with us. And all along the letter, he is showing us how Jesus proved time and time again that he was God in our midst. He tells us about seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus did that demonstrated his power that only the creator had. He tells us about seven I am statements. I am a statement that God made of himself when Moses says, what is your name? And these statements, each and every one of them, is, is Jesus' way of revealing himself as the one, the Messiah, the God who came to be with us, Emmanuel. And we pick up the story here in chapter 6, right after Jesus had done a great miracle. By now, he had done many miracles, and people were following him. At the beginning of chapter 5, we're told that 5,000 men, and at the time, men did not travel alone. They had their children and their wives. So some people say there were about 1,000 people following Jesus. And all of these people were following him, and they went and followed him to a place where there was no food and no water, and Jesus had compassion for them. We're told in chapter 6 that he tells his disciples, go and gather some food that we might feed all of these people. And they're like, Jesus, we, we don't have enough food. We just have a few fish and some bread, and there's no way we can feed this many people. It's a hundred times the number of people that are sitting here right now. And Jesus says, cut them in pieces, start serving it to people. And they do. They start feeding people. And it says in chapter 6 that they all ate as much as they wanted, and there was leftovers. By a miracle, Jesus fed over 12,000 people as much as they wanted, and there were leftovers. They had everything they needed. They were full to the max, and they were like, whoa, this guy can do great things. This is the one we've been waiting for. He is a prophet. And they say, this is the man who could be our king. The people of Israel were under the oppression of the Romans, and they thought, this is it. This is the guy who's going to set us free. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, he skips away. He goes up to the mountains and leaves them, because that is not why he came. And that night, the disciples got into a boat, trying to find Jesus, probably. They crossed over the, sea, the Galilee Sea, and people watched them leave. But the next morning, everyone's looking for Jesus. And they see that only one boat left with the disciples. And they think, well, maybe Jesus is on the other side. They did not know that that night, a storm came, and Jesus actually walked on water. I, I'm not reading that portion. That's still in chapter 6. He walked on water, ended up on the other side with the disciples. And when they all arrived, they asked that question, Rabbi, when did you arrive? How did you get here? Clearly, they were looking for Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, you're looking for me for the wrong reasons. You are searching for yet one more sign. But I did not come to do that. I came to do so much more. He says, you're looking for me. Not because even you saw those signs, but because you ate, because you were filled, and now you're hungry again, and you want more. And Jesus is trying to tell them, there is more that I have to give you. He wants to open up their eyes. 
And they're asking him to make a sign. Jesus, what are you going to do? Moses did this. What are you going to do? Already, Jesus had done a bunch of miracles. He's shown a bunch of signs. So it's kind of like this. How many of you have driven from here to Sacramento? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. So what do we do? We get on the 405 freeway. We turn on our map guide, or we look at the signs in the freeway, and it says, Sacramento, 417 miles. Sacramento, 362 miles. Sacramento, 230 miles. And eventually, after all of those signs, we get to Sacramento. It's good to talk to me. This is a conversation. We get to Sacramento. And when we arrive there, how foolish would it be for us to say, where's this next sign that tells us how we're going to get to Sacramento? We're in Sacramento. They're asking him for more signs. And Jesus is saying, that which you are searching for is right before you. I'm already here. I am before you. And I wonder for us, are we asking for Jesus more things when he's already demonstrated who he is to us? Are we demanding of Jesus more signs, more miracles, bigger things, because somehow we think he hasn't given us all that he is and he has. And you know, he is not surprised by this. Jesus is not surprised by our human tendency to search for which does not nourish us. He knows. He knows that we are desperate for more. And often we miss that all that we have, all that we need is coming from him. We do the same thing that they did. This is why the prophet Isaiah writes, a kind of a warning for us, and that's what Jesus says as well. He says, why do you spend silver on that which is not food and wages on that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choices of foods. Seek the right thing, and you will truly be nourished. Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes. Do not search for that which is only going to satisfy you for a time, and then it will leave you back again hungry and thirsty for more. He says, don't do that. Search for that that is satisfied. That which gives you eternal life, only he could give that. He says, search for that. Jesus is more than just a great prophet or a miracle maker or a sign person, a one who could save and, and heal all kinds of people. He's more than that. He comes to finally satisfy our deepest, most needy places. He comes to give us more than bread. He says this. He says, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. The one. It says, the bread of God is the one. One came to give us from heaven what we needed. Of course, they go, all right, give me more of that bread. I want some of that. And that's when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am that one that comes from heaven. He says, no one comes, who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, the words are used here in Greek for hungry and for thirsty. We had to pay a quick attention to because, you know, I honestly think here in Orange County, we know nothing about being hungry and thirsty the way these words are referring to. The word for hungry here is a word called peineo, and it means famished, starved, to crave intensely. When's the last time you felt that way? Well, you haven't eaten for days, not just a, a couple hours. By now, you're kind of like getting close to lunch. My stomach's grumbling. I know what that hunger is a little bit like. But the reality is this hunger that he's talking about is the hunger as though you haven't had food for days. 
Now think about that pain, that hunger. And that metaphor that he's using is referring to our spiritual hunger. Every one of us knows that there is a part of us that is lacking, that is missing something that we're desperate for. I know for me, I went 40 years before I realized that I was filling that hole with just about everything else, and none of it worked, none of it lasted, not until I came to Jesus. That hunger that we have is beyond our ability to fulfill on your own. What do you hunger for? How do you fill that hunger that's deep in your hearts? And is there a possibility that that which you're reaching for is actually doing more harm than good? Years ago, I found out from my doctor that I had hypoglycemia, which if you've had that, it's just like a precursor to diabetes. I do not have diabetes, but it's when your blood sugar gets all messed up. And here's what I would do. I would have uh, yogurt with lots of sugar in it in the morning with then um, a nice big glass of orange juice with lots of sugar. And then within an hour and a half later, maybe a donut, an hour and a half later, what do you think I was craving for? Sugar. And then I'd have more sugar, something else that was sweet. And then by noon, I was looking for cola, the big glass of it, Coca-Cola, more sugar. And I finally was causing myself the shakes. So I went in and she said, Inez, here's a problem. Your body is craving for sugar. Yes, your body needs sugar. But if you give it more sugar, it's going to crave more sugar. And so what she was saying is you got to reverse this. In the morning, have protein. She says, in the morning, have an egg or have a yogurt with low sugar or a piece of bread with lots of nuts. Make sure you have protein first. Anytime you feel like you want to grab some sugar, grab protein instead. By golly, within no time, my body was fine. I didn't realize that I was feeding myself. I, the thing I was craving for, that's what I was feeding myself with. And that was actually doing me more harm than good. How about you? What are you craving for that you're feeding yourself for and it's actually doing more harm to you? It's not satisfying your hunger. It's not satisfying your thirst. It's simply making you more and more desperate. How about this? Are you craving for more knowledge? You want another degree? Read another book? Have more wisdom? Have more stature in place? Are you craving for stuff like more clothes and shoes and purses and watches and cars and airplanes? Are you craving for stuff thinking that's going to satisfy your need? Are you craving for success, a bigger business, a better financial um, bottom line, a big, big number with lots of zeros? Are you craving for accomplishments? Maybe you're you're craving for some sort of medal of sorts. Perhaps you're craving for people. You want more people around you. You want more followers on social media. You want people who look at you and admire you. You're craving for admiration. You want people to say, wow, every word you say, it's like golden. I want more of that. You're amazing. you, You relate to some of this. You probably have read Ecclesiastes. When Solomon, who had so much... He concluded this. He says, wisdom fails to satisfy. Position, and boy, did he have position, failed to satisfy. He says, people, and he had people. He had hundreds of women. He had all that he needed around him. He says, that failed to satisfy. He said, stuff, wealth. He was the wealthiest man ever. That failed to satisfy. Even the work of his hands failed to satisfy him. When what does he conclude? It's like chasing the wind. An endless, endless attempt, and it accomplishes 
nothing. Jesus says, don't work for that which perishes. It leaves you nowhere. It leaves you starving, craving, hungry. What I have is the only thing that can satisfy your hunger. And this is not just an outrageous claim. It's a promise that he makes to us. And then he says, anyone who comes to me, believes in me, will never thirst. And again, this word for thirst, we know nothing about because, man, we got water all the time. How many of you like are carrying your own bottle of water in your purse right now? Right? We, will, we always have water available to us. But the water here, dipseo, is a painful need for water. Like you, your tongue is sticking to the roof of your mouth. Your lips are dry and you're like, all you want is just one drop, just one drop and I'll feel better. We don't know what that's like here in Orange County. I remember my husband and I traveled to Uganda. The northern part of Uganda is pretty dry. And as we were delivering wheelchairs and doing our stuff, all of us were carrying a bottle of water. And that's just what we do, right? We all carry a bottle of water, no big deal. But I'm telling you, it was like I was carrying a massive diamond or a bag of tea or whatever you could imagine. These kids were like all around us. The people were like staring us down. You know what they wanted? They wanted a sip of water. Because I remember asking one of the kids, like, you seem really desperate for something. What, what, what is it that you need? And they said, can we just have a sip of your water? Do we even know that kind of thirst? The psalmist in Psalm 63 knew that thirst. David wrote these words. He says, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul, my soul thirsts for you. I long for you as in a dry and parched water place where there is no water. I have that kind of desperate thirst for you. And Jesus wants to fulfill that thirst for us. He wants to take that away. He wants to fill it for us. In fact, in John chapter 4, he meets a woman at a well where she's collecting water. And she's saying, this is the source of water. Jesus says, that is only going to satisfy you for a little while. You'll drink it and you'll be thirsty again. But the water that I give, that water is going to truly satisfy, and it will spring out like a spring within you. In John chapter 7, Jesus tells to a massive crowd, he says, all of you who are thirsty, come to me, he says. Come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. That's a promise God makes. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that which we thirst for is satisfied from the inside out. And you know, I pray often, God, give me a craving for you that anytime I walk away from you, anytime I get a little distant, anytime I get distracted by something else, my hunger is such that I can only come back to you because you satisfy that we would have that kind of craving because he wants to fill us, fill us with his bread and fill us with his water. He wants to provide for us what nothing in this world can provide. People said, God provided manna for us. Now, manna was really good for a day, and then it went bad. On Saturdays, it lasted two days. Didn't last very long. But what Jesus is offering them is good to the taste, and it's eternal. In fact, that's what Psalm 34 says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's good. What he's providing for us will actually satisfy us like nothing else can. The permanence 
of this satisfaction is important to remember. What when we take him in, we will never be hungry again. We will never be thirsty, not in the same way. If we are becoming thirsty, it's because we are going to something else and not to him, right? This has to be digested. This has to be taken in. Now, I just said all these things, and if you leave them up here in your head, it means nothing. It has to come into your heart, which is why Jesus says this, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and does what? Believes in him. Would you read that again? That anyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus expects us to take this truth beyond our hearts, beyond our mind, into our hearts, into our souls, that we would actually rely on him, believe that he and he alone can fulfill our needs. If we believe in him, we will experience the filling that we so desperately need. If we're not, if we're believing in him just like, well, or knowing him as a good prophet or a miracle maker, a guy, a good teacher, that's not going to satisfy our soul. We must believe that he is the source of what we need. Now, you might be thinking, man, Inez, you're just repeating yourself over and over again. Yes, because it's not me that's repeating myself. When you read this chapter, you find out that it's actually Jesus repeating himself over and over again. Now, some of you are, have heard me say this, but anytime scripture repeats itself, what does that mean? It's important, right? Anytime. And if scripture repeats itself a lot, you know what that means? You and I tend to forget the things we should remember, and we remember the things we ought to forget. And so he is pounding this in so that it really goes beyond our minds into our hearts. And later on in chapter 6, it says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Again, he says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Who can eat of it? Anyone. Anyone. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter your struggle. Doesn't matter what shame you may be carrying. Anyone may believe in Jesus and not die. And then he says again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread I will give for my life of the world is my flesh. At which point everyone went, ew. Because honestly, he goes, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all went, now that's, okay, you've gone crazy. That sounds really weird. And honestly, if you read the story, lots of people left him at that point. They were like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And what he's really saying is, you have to take this in. You have to let it into your heart, into your soul. That's how you receive my provision. That's how your hunger is satisfied. That's how your thirst is relieved. When you, when you accept my body as the offering it was meant to be given, Jesus gave up his body for us on the cross. He died a shameful death for you, for me, that our sins would be paid for. He shed his blood, pure, perfect, blameless, he paid the price, the penalty that we deserve. When we, when we take that into our hearts, we essentially are drinking that into our souls that we might not thirst again, that we might not go anywhere else. When we consider what Jesus did on the cross for our nourishment, 
for our eternal life. Why would we go anywhere else? I was ministering to a woman recently, and she's like, well, I, I really, I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. I, I want to I wanna accept him, um, but, and I want to follow him, but do I have to give this up over here? And I thought, okay, what is this that you're holding on to? And she told me what it was, and I went, well, that sounds really great. How is it working for you? She goes, well, it's not. I said, so what is the answer to your question? If Jesus can give you what you need and this doesn't, it seems only logical. You have to let that go and accept the gift. Receive it. Be fed by the Spirit. Be quenched of your thirst. She was so thirsty for forgiveness. She was so thirsty for God's provision. Only Jesus can give us that. Only Jesus can. He says, I am the bread. I am your nutrition. I'm not salt and pepper. I'm not extra sugar. I'm not extra, I'm not extra heat. I am the nutrition that you need. There's no other place to go. And he is enough. He is all that we need. In fact, they were like, wait, isn't this like Jesus, the guy we know, he was born over there, could this be the one? How could it be? He seems like an ordinary person. And he's like, no, I am. I am. You will no longer hunger. In Revelation chapter 7, it says this. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor any scorching heat. And because he's enough, it means you and I are enough in him. Not that we're enough on our own. We are enough in him because he makes us enough he is enough and he makes us enough in john 6 58 it says this is the bread that came down from heaven it's not like the manna the ancestors ate because they died but the one who eats this bread eats forever i make you enough that's what jesus is saying and i want to talk to the ladies in the room for a minute gentlemen can you give me a moment and and listen because you may need to speak these words over the ladies who are next to you or the ladies in your life because I believe we as women today have really bought in a really big lie. We've been fed this lie. You can do it all. Any sisters want to say amen to that? They tell us, you can do it all. You can be the perfect mother. You can cook the best cookies. Your kitchen is perfectly clean. You wear the cutest outfit when you're doing it. Your nails are never damaged. Your hair is perfect every day. The nice bright lipstick at the same time while your kids are perfect. All three kids sitting down, beautiful hair done, homework done, not an issue, perfect grades. And by the way, you're the CEO of this really large company with thousands of employees working for you. And do it all. Mm-hmm. Right? No, we can't. We've bought that lie, and you know what happens? We walk around believing we are not enough. Girls, anywhere here you want to say amen? Amen just means I agree with you. That's all that means. It's like this, we've bought this lie. And I want to read this for you. This is written by Melanie Schenkel. It's a blog that I read, and I thought it was so good. I want to just read it for you to encourage you. And the title of this is, God says you are enough because I am. All right? She says, we're constantly asking why. We're constantly measuring ourselves against the successes of others. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, rich, poor, old, or young, in college or not. Every one of us struggles with this. Are we enough? Can we ever be enough? 
We're always looking around to see how we measure up to everyone around us and usually focusing on all the ways we fall short. Amen? Amen. So we worry and we work and we worry and we work and we worry and we try to do something big, something huge, something to prove our worth and make sure that our lives matter. We have to host a conference, start a movement, adopt 15 kids from China, fight human trafficking so that we would matter. Now, these things are great. Don't get me wrong. But we lose sight of the little things that matter, the things that can change a life, like bringing dinner to a sick neighbor or smiling to that waitress who's having a really rough day or reading to your children before bed or simply praying for someone who's struggling. You see, God promises us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing That's the same God who values the little things. He valued us enough that he gave his one and only son. You see, you are enough. You have to say it to yourself. I am enough in Christ. Not on your own. None of us are. Neither are you, gentlemen. None of us are. But we are enough in Christ. We can only be satisfied by him. It's a relief. It's a relief. Can you just take a deep breath for a moment and go, I'm enough in Christ. Oh, what a restful place that is, right? Let us not forget that. He came to feed us, to give us all that we need. His grace is sufficient for us. Paul said, I can boast now in my weakness because he is strong. So you can say, I'm not enough. You're right, I'm not enough. I cannot, the, the, the food's burnt, you know? That nice garlic bread that I tried to make in a flash just went black on me. I've done all that, but I'm not enough, but God is enough. I'm stretched thin, I'm trying to accomplish all these things, but God, you're enough, and in me, you're making me enough. In your eyes, you never leave me, you never forsake me, you are always for me, you are good to me, you are good to me, you are good to me, because in your eyes, I am precious and beautiful and wonderful, And you are making me more and more like you. That's what Jesus is doing for each and every one of us. Make us more like him. My heart is full of gratitude for that. Is yours? I think about that and I'm reminded of the words. That's why I want to finish with these words. I'll have the worship team come up. These are words from Psalm 13, 6. And we'll read it together. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Let's read that together again. I will see the Lord because he has treated me generously. Generously. They ate all that they needed to the full, and there was leftovers. That's the kind of generosity God has for you and for me. As we respond to this truth, I pray that if you have never accepted Jesus If you not believe, remember he says, if you believe, you will not hunger, you will not thirst. Listen, that does not mean there will be moments in our lives when we'll feel the hunger. Now we know, however, where to go. We know where to feed, where we be feasting in Jesus and replenish our souls when we feel like we're lacking. But he says, you must believe. And if you've never believed, we want to invite you to do that today. And it's really simple. Jesus, I believe that you, you are who you say that you are. I believe that I am who you say that I am. 
And I want to feast on you. I want to be fed by you. It's that simple. A conversation with your maker and acceptance of the gift that he gives you. And boy, what a day that would be. A Mother's Day. Your mom would be happy. I'll tell you that. As we respond around the room, we take communion. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Remembering, taking the bread, representing his body, dipping it in the cup, representing the blood, remembering that which we forget, that we are so precious in the eyes of God. He sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. So we come, we remember that. We put it into our hearts, into our stomachs that we might carry that wherever we might feel empty again. We go and light a candle to be reminded we are now the light of the world. Wherever we go, we bring this hope for those in our lives who are hungry and thirsty and desperate. We can show them a way. And all you have to do is tell your story. This is how he has fed me. This is how he's nurtured me. We go to the cross. We are grateful because he's done it all on the cross. It's finished. So we can give to him that which makes us hungrier. Whatever it is that we're attached to, whatever sin, we give it to him and say, God, replenish my soul with only, only your love, your perfect love. We go to the prayer team around the room. We go to the offering boxes. All of these are ways in which to dialogue with God and thank God for what he has done. Are you with me? Would you stand? Father, we want to say thank you to you. We want to be grateful, grateful children for the nourishment you give us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that finally there is a place for us to go to be fed, to be given water, refreshing, refreshing water, to be fed beyond measure, God. We do not have to. We do not have to do it on our own. We are enough because you declare it in Jesus' name. So, Father, we're going to respond to all of this in gratitude around the room. Be with us. Speak to us, God, as we worship, as we remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and respond. Go to the stations and then come back to your seats that we might worship together. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again.